So I don't want to make it sound as though Facebook ads are no longer helpful. I'm much more bullish, as you said, on in-app ads because they are just now outperforming Facebook ads and they didn't used to do that. And within the last, you know, eight months or so, it's become very apparent to me that Facebook doesn't do it anymore and in-app ads do it better. So there's just, there's no more argument to have about it. Hello, you're listening to Podcast Growth Hacks, where I talk to podcasters of all experience levels to unpack the most powerful growth tactics they used to grow their podcast. I'm Pat Chung. And if you're a podcaster, well then subscribe so that together we can all learn and experiment with how to grow our own podcasts. Today, we're chatting with Tanner Campbell, the host of Good Morning Podcasters and Practical Stoicism and the Dictionary of Mythology and Folklore. Good Morning Podcasters is the daily podcast where Tanner talks about all things podcasting, including podcast industry news and podcasting tips. Tanner has been an audio engineer since 2015 and has been podcasting since 2010. I first met Tanner at Podcast Movement in 2021, where we debated over the pros and cons of RSS feeds. Ever since then, we became great friends and I've become a huge fan of his show. I really enjoy how thoughtful his opinions are and his tendency to question everything. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Tanner. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. That was a really nice and kind intro. We are best buds. <laughs> exactly. It's only been a year, but I feel like we're really close. It is kind of wild that it has only been a year. It feels, it feel, not to make it sound like being your friend is laborious, <laughs> it, but it just feels <laughs> like longer because we talk about it. I know. But cool. Today, we want to learn all the things you did to grow your many podcasts. But before we dive into that, tell us a little bit more about the podcast we're going to focus on today. I want to focus on Practical Stoicism because it is by far at this point, the largest podcast that I currently have in production. And it's probably the largest podcast I've grown in the last three or so years for myself personally. And I think there's a lot to learn there, both about niche uh, and about content focus, which sounds like maybe it's the same thing, but hopefully when we get to it, it'll make sense that they're different. That's awesome. I can't wait to dive into it. I want to learn about it too. And I'm a little bit bummed because I'm a huge fan of your podcast, Good Morning Podcasters. And a little side note, it's like probably one of the podcasts I recommend the most to other podcasters. I find myself recommending it all the time. So I'm a little bummed we're not going to be talking about that one as much, but maybe we'll dive into that one as well. But yeah, tell us a little bit about your podcast. So Practical Stoicism is an attempt for me at the start to serve a market in the philosophy category of podcasting uh, that, that I didn't feel was being served. If you don't know what Stoicism is, it's a very ancient Greek philosophy. You probably know it. Usually people know the word Stoic as kind of not a nice thing to say about someone. Oh, they're Stoic. People usually tend to think that that means that they don't care about anything. Mm -hmm. They don't have any emotions. Someone is very Stoic. They're like a judge, right? They show no emotion because they don't actually mm -hmm. care. They've got all that under control. Uh, that's not actually true. It's, it's the, the opposite. We care a lot, which is one of the reasons that we try to keep our emotions uh, so strongly under control. But the part of that little market that wasn't being well served is you have these people who co-opt this particular philosophy and they're like business bros, right? They're trying to extract from stoicism something that you can use in the boardroom or something that you can use in startup land. And stoicism is, is not designed for that, but it is the kind of philosophy that can be very useful in that world. 
but that's not the stoicism that I love. And it's not the stoicism I feel like most people want to get to know when they seek it out or when they hear about it. And then the other kind is traditional stoicism, which hasn't been updated in 2000 years, right? Or more. Uh, and you have people who think that you've got to take this ancient philosophy and you can only practice it the way it was practiced 2000 years ago. But, you know, we know a lot more about mental health now than we knew 2000 years ago. Mm -hmm which is nobody's fault 2000 years ago, right? You could only know what you had the ability to know back then, but you've got to update that philosophy in order for it to continue to be useful and compatible with society. And, you know, if Marcus Aurelius, who's kind of the poster boy, uh, not the founder, but certainly the, the poster boy of stoicism had lived these 2000 years, he would have been updating it as he went, as he learned things. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't see a lot of podcasts that were giving a practical, reasonable, modern approach without really without really messing it up uh, to stoicism. And I thought, okay, well, this is a completely not served market. And I know we're talking about growth hacks. I think one of those growth hacks is to identify not necessarily what you're passionate about exclusively, but what you're passionate about and whether or not it's underserved. Because if you want a podcast to grow and you're passionate about, and I don't mean anything to anybody who has a podcast like this, but movie reviews, you might be very passionate about it. It's going to be very hard to grow that show because it's a very flooded market, so to speak. Right. So it sounds like you picked a niche that you were super passionate about that wasn't served yet. Um, what kind of subject matter expertise did you have on it? Did you just, were you just like, I kind of know a little bit about stoicism and I'm going to dive into it? Or did you already have this kind of immense background? I have a PhD. Surprise. No, I don't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I did. I, I did attempt to go for my PhD when I was in college, but I never got there. I, I, I didn't flunk out of college, but I ran out of money and I certainly ran out of interest. It was an undiagnosed ADHD nightmare when I was in college in those years, which is a long time ago. Uh, but I always stayed very close to philosophy in general. I'm the kind of person that when you see something, you kind of set it in my intro. I'm inclined to ask, how come? Why am I doing it this way? Why are they doing it this way? Why is this the way we do things? And to some people that makes me seem like a contrarian or <laughs> maybe more commonly phrased a, a pain in the butt. Uh, am I allowed to curse on the show? You know, I'm restraining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm trying to keep the E out of it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, I could be a pain in the butt. Um, but really what that is, is just a desire to know whether or not the way we're doing things is just, is the best way to be doing things. Some people take for granted that it is, and sometimes they're right. Maybe frequently they're right. Uh, but when you take things for granted, you never get to the bottom of it. There could be a, a better way to do something. Uh, and so I always stay very close to philosophy. And I started practicing stoicism in an earnest way in 2015, 2016. I actually had a podcast, or it might've been 2014, 2015. And it was called Epictetus is My Therapist. Epictetus is also not the founder of Stoicism, but he's older than uh, Marcus Aurelius, and he wrote something called the Enchiridion. And I was kind of working through those texts, and it was a very reflective time for me because I had just, a business I had had just failed. And it failed because I was a bad boss. I was the kind of person who expected from my employee the same kind of time investment that I gave as the, well, not the CEO, but as the president of that particular company. And I didn't understand why that wasn't fair then. Uh, and so I fell into stoicism because I felt like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in control of my emotions. I made a lot of assumptions. I assented to a lot of false assumptions, which is something that you learn to not do in mm -hmm. stoicism and, and in other philosophies too. But 
we're talking about stoicism. Uh, and I fell really deep into it then. And I started to read all the texts. I started to listen to a great podcast by a guy named Chris Fisher called Stoicism on Fire. Very traditional stuff. I had the privilege of interviewing a guy uh, whose name is Massimo Piglioni. Uh, he's probably the foremost modern Stoic philosopher. Uh, and I had interviewed him for a previous show, which was unrelated to that show. But because I had a relationship with him, got to spend some time talking to him, learning some things I couldn't learn from the books. And it just went from there. I don't consider myself to be an expert in, in philosophy or in Stoicism in particular. Uh, in fact, one of the tenets of Stoicism, you're probably familiar with Buddhism. Everybody knows there was a Buddha. He, he, he achieved spiritual oneness, right? Uh, in Stoicism, that doesn't happen. There's a path in Stoicism. You try to walk it the best you can. It's a given that you will not walk it perfectly. You'll fall off it frequently. And there is no sage in Stoicism. Mm -hmm. There is no Buddha-like person. There is no perfection. No one in the history of Stoicism has ever been referred to as a sage, maybe sage-like. Some of the ancients, you know, once you're an OG of, of Stoicism for long enough, you might be referred to in that way, mm. but they never saw themselves that way. And I don't see myself that way. I see myself as someone who can, who has been reading the text long enough mm -hmm. to be so familiar with them that I can present them in kind of nice little wrapped up five to 10 minute packages that provide a quick hit of value, some things to reflect on in a way that's not, you know, trying to Gary Vaynerchuk showboat, <laughs> nothing against Gary, mm -hmm. but you know what I mean? That kind of energy mm -hmm. uh, and, and isn't trying to pretend like the world hasn't changed in the years since Stoicism was founded. Yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned the whole part about like the tech industry kind of gravitating towards it. That's kind of how I was introduced to it a couple of years ago, actually. I know I'm a little bit familiar with Stoicism based on the books by Ryan Holiday. You know, I feel like he kind of helped popularize it. Yep, I'm sure that's something you don't like, but like it's kind of become popularized in startup culture. Do you think that kind of helped your podcast grow? Oh, do I think that, uh, yes, I think there's definitely been a resurgence of interest in stoicism. Uh, and that might be another reason, I haven't thought about that, but that might be another reason that I started this kind of show is because I don't want people to approach stoicism and get one of those two varieties because you have people who are very progressive. I don't mean politically progressive. I just mean morally progressive. Mm -hmm. And they come to stoicism and they can take a couple things out of it from the surface. But as soon as they start to dig into it, if they don't have somebody to walk them through the text, or if the only person they have walking them through the text are kind of like, almost like religious zealots about it, they're, they're you know, very traditionalist, they're going to say, well, that's not compatible mm -hmm. with my very progressive morality. And it wouldn't be. I mean, it absolutely wouldn't be. Or you're going to have somebody who's just kind of averse to this kind of like bro startup culture, kind of bro broishness, And they're going to say, mm, that's not really for me because that's just all about stiff upper lip and, you know, keep calm and carry on, which is part of stoicism, but it's often misunderstood what those things mean. And, and my podcast just tries to, it tr tries to modernize it. It tries to respect the fact that the world is different and it still tries to recognize and does, I think successfully, uh, recognize the huge benefits of practicing this particular philosophy. That's cool. Yeah. Now I'm really looking forward to checking it out. I mean, I could see how some of the tenets could be super useful in today's world. So seems super relevant. So when did you start this podcast? I believe the first episode was the second week of January of this year. And in that time, it's had about a half a million downloads and it 
just started rocketing up the charts probably in the sixth week. And I didn't expect it because, and this is, this is one of those funny things about growing a podcast. I didn't market it at all for like a few months. That's interesting yeah. coming from you because you're such a prolific podcaster. You talk about podcasting. Uh, you've been talking about podcasting for, for as long as I've known you and even longer before that. So when you first started this podcast, what was the intent? Was it for it to be a hobby or was it for a business purpose? It was not for a business purpose, not at all, which is uncommon for me also, you'll probably say, because yeah. I tell podcasters all the time that, look, if you want this, to, and I think this is kind of the key. If you want this to lead to an escape from your day job, you have to treat it like a business. But my day job is already in media creation, which I love. It's already in talking podcasts and writing about them and tutorials. And I love that. So I didn't need this to be successful. This was 50% for other people. And it was 50% for me to maintain my stoic practice. My life is, you know, busy. I talk to a lot of people every day. I sometimes forget to keep that stoic mindset. I'll lose my temper sometimes. And, you know, especially when you're, I interact on Twitter a lot. And so, you know, there are times during the day I'll lose my temper 15 times a day. And I remember thinking at that time, it's like, I, I got to get back to Marcus Aurelius. I got to get back mm. to the meditations. I got to get back to Seneca. I got to get back to Zeno. I, I have to like get back to these texts because I'm drifting from it and I'm feeling it in a way that is not good for me. It's not good for the people around me. I'm better when I'm focused. Uh, on, you know, making sure that I'm living a good life. Uh, and so that was the other 50% of it. So when it started growing, I didn't even know what to do with it. <laughs> which, which, which again is odd for me. I'm like, what? Well, it's got 10,000 downloads and it's been six weeks. That, that wasn't supposed to happen. And uh -huh. now it's getting five, 6,000 downloads a day. And it's uh -huh. a weekly podcast that lasts 10 to 15 minutes. And of course, I do market now, but Sure. You do market it now. We'll dive into that. What do you think it was you did then that um, from the time where you were just kind of doing it as a passion, you didn't expect much growth. What caused it to grow then? Well, one, that it was an underserved market. Two, that, I, that I'm very competent in the subject matter, in the way that I present it anyway. I don't present myself as an academic. I present myself as, a, as someone who can help you understand the text. And there's not a lot of people like me out there who have a podcast, there are plenty of people out there who can probably maybe describe the text better than I can, uh, but they're not making podcasts. So I think the success was that I was one of the only people doing it. And I've, you know, I've got a good voice for podcasting. People tell me that all the time. Yeah. Uh, I've got enough sense to respect uh, the listener's time, understanding like, look, I, I wanted to release this every Saturday. That's what I do. I wake up mm -hmm. on, in the morning. This is how I produce the podcast episode, by the way, everybody will hate this, including every podcaster listening and, and myself. I hate it. I wake up Saturday morning at like six or seven. I sit down on the couch. I crack open the meditations. I choose the next meditation in the list. I read it. And then I go over to my script writer and I bang out about 2000 or so words explaining that, that uh, meditation. And then I sit in the booth that you can see me sitting in now and I record it. So that thing happens every Saturday morning within the span of like two to three hours. What do you mean your script writer? What's that? So I will, I, the, the podcast is not mostly because of the content it shouldn't be. Uh, and I wouldn't dare try to do it. Uh, it is, it is scripted. So I'll read the day's meditation from, we're going through uh, Marcus Aurelius's meditations right now. This is only an episode like 25. <laughs> wow. So we work through all the work. So Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, the people I mentioned before, 
And we take it meditation by meditation or chapter by chapter, because that's the way it makes sense to get introduced to the ideas and concepts, because it gets deeper and deeper as it moves along, but mm -hmm. you need to start shallow. So I sit down every morning and I read the next meditation and I spend about 20 minutes reflecting on it. What's the practical takeaway that someone can, you know, like a, a mom with two kids, single can like put into practice. What does she want out of this? Or what does he want out mm -hmm. of this? And I do my best to simplify it, you know, simplify it to death almost, mm -hmm. but let's make it useful. And I don't think there's just not a lot of people out there doing that uh, and doing it in a way that I think is as authentic, not to toot my own horn here, uh, to, that is as authentic in purpose as, as I'm doing it. I think that's one of the reasons. It's interesting. So it's a solo weekly episode and you're right. You are super consistent. I love that about you. How long are the episodes? I think the longest one I've ever put out is 15 minutes. I usually don't limit myself to the time frame, but I limit myself to about 2000 words or so. And I know how long that takes me to read it. Um, right. So, you know, about 10 minutes or so. Yeah, but there's thousands of podcasters out there that feel like they're probably doing the exact same thing as you. They're like creating great content. They're hyper consistent. They picked a niche that no one else, but they probably don't experience the same numbers as you. So before you started marketing, what numbers did you get to? I believe I was right up around 10,000 downloads in total, and I was getting something like a thousand downloads an episode. Wow. And that happened before anything kind of plateaued. And before I even realized I had anything good because I wasn't thinking about it in that way. So as soon as I realized that my friend, Greg, who runs the Indie Drop-In Network is like, dude, you have lightning in a bottle right here. Podcasts don't grow this fast. And he's telling me things I already know, of course, <laughs> but they don't grow this fast without help. And I didn't even tweet about it. I didn't tweet about it. I didn't post about it. I didn't do anything. It just took off. Yeah. And you're I, totally speaking the truth because I follow your tweets and I didn't even know much about this podcast at all. Yeah. Uh, and so as soon as I realized that, I thought, okay, well, yeah, I mean, I should probably try to grow it. If after all, my true mission here is to try to help people understand these texts better, then yes, I should grow it. And maybe I should find a way to monetize it as well so that I could take some time to, you know, write a book, which I just did to, to go along with the podcast. It's on Amazon. It's like number 143 in the social philosophy category. So it's just doing pretty well. I think, I don't know how many places there are. Hopefully there's not 144. <laughs> Is the book the same title as the podcast? Yeah, it's a practical stoicism. And it's essentially the scripts that I write just repurposed as a book with some additional insights that you can provide in a longer format, like a book, but it's like a companion to take along. If you're a fan, it's just a cheap way to, you know, support me if you like the podcast. And then I inserted ads on the podcast using my host sounder.fm, which I love because they do the whole back catalog and not just for 30 days, but like forever. And I started running ads for it in places like Overcast and Spotify and Facebook and, you know, all the, all the players or all the platforms and started throwing a couple hundred dollars at it every month. And since then it's grown to about $5,000 a day. And that's pretty gosh darn good for a podcast that doesn't release every day. It releases every week uh, and it's only 10 minutes long. So um, I will say that I don't think people talk enough about is this X factor of creating a podcast. There is nothing I did in particular to make this work. And I think it's, I'm so glad that it happened, not just because I'm passionate about the topic and subject matter, but I'm so glad that it happened because it's a demonstration of how large a role luck plays in 
successes in podcasting. Mm. It plays a significant part. And I don't think people want to talk about it. I think people want to say things like, you got to be consistent. Well, yeah, of course, you got to show up. You got to have a good show. Well, okay, yeah, you got to have a good show. But you can show up, have a great show, have awesome host chemistry, spend money on advertising, and it could just fall flat. There is an X factor that you can't fake, that you can't buy, uh, that you can't just create from nothing. It just happens. And I don't know what it is. Uh, nobody knows what it is, which is probably why people don't talk about it. But, you know, you're going to do great things with this podcast, I'm sure, but there's no guarantee that this podcast will catch on. And if it does, right. it won't just be because of the marketing you did or the startup pod inbox that you have or any of the things you did. It's going to have something to do with something that you didn't do, but it exists around you somehow. And I don't yeah. think people talk about that. No, I love that you're talking about this. Like in startup world, you know, we kind of have an analogy of throwing gas on a fire. When a startup gets investment money, they're given that investment money to throw gas on a fire that's already burning. But that's throwing gas on a fire that exists. And, uh, you know, it doesn't need the fuel, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't need that for that fire. Yeah. So it's great you're talking about that because a lot of people could do all these growth hacks, but if they don't have anything that's kind of worth throwing gasoline on, you know, it's, the gas isn't going to do anything. It's not going to so, make any fire burn any brighter because the fire didn't exist in the beginning. Is that kind of what you're saying? A hundred percent. And, and that, that actually in itself, though it may not sound like one, is a growth hack. You should never throw any money or any significant effort at a podcast until you know it's going to work. It's kind of like, you know that I have courses and I, I'm always preaching about sell it first mm -hmm. and build it. Mm -hmm. Because if you build a course and no one wants to fucking buy it, well, then you <laughs> spent like three weeks making a course and no one wants you. have wasted a lot of your time. I don't like to see new podcasters come right out of the gate with a great idea, consistency, great team, and throw, you know, $100 a week or a few hundred dollars a month, whatever it is, because they're going to do that for a while. And if they don't have that X factor, they haven't given it time to figure it out, then th it could still work. It could still work, but it's probably not going to work. So, so one of the growth hacks is to like, just launch and be a little patient and see where it goes on its own without you doing much. Yeah, no, I love that advice. So in your case, in the world of practical stoicism, what was that pivotal moment that you thought, you know what, it's time to put some marketing dollars behind this? It was when I noticed that it started to kind of flatline, where, where instead of gaining a few hundred listeners per day or per week, rather, mm -hmm. I, I started gaining maybe like a dozen. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, so maybe like the organic juice of this being a good show, which, and by the way, another growth hack, the, the name of the podcast is going to come up for anyone who searches stoicism because mm -hmm. it's got it in the title. That's another growth hack. I... It's not that I don't appreciate the cleverness of a lot of indie podcast or any podcast. They don't have to be indies, hobbyists, whatever. They try to get so clever with the name. <laughs> yeah. Well, nobody's going to look for that. How do you think people are finding movie podcasts? Are they searching for Bill and Ted's Excellent Theater Adventure? No, they're searching for movie podcasts. And I understand that there's so many damn movie podcasts that you can't all put movie podcasts in the title of your movie podcast, but I like to call podcasts the thing that they are. So for example, the other podcast you mentioned, Good Morning Podcasters, it's immediately, immediately apparent what that podcast is because it says what it is right on the cover art and right in the title. My other podcast, Dictionary of Mythology and Folklore, well, if you search mythology or folklore, you're going to get that podcast as a returned result because it's there. It's telling you what it is. 
it's not Tanner's deep dive into the amazing world of cultures, you know, like, because nobody would look for that. So that's another growth hack is title your podcast, what it is. Don't try to be clever with it. If you can say what it is and be clever, that's great. It's probably more important to just say what the damn thing is instead of trying to be inventive. Right. I agree. That's great advice. Yeah. Even the name of this podcast, Podcast Growth Hacks, it sounds so boring. I'm almost embarrassed about it, but I'm like, well, it's exactly what it is. That's what people are going to search for. And that's what they're probably going to click. People will search for growth hacks. That is a, absolutely. Exactly. So going back to that pitiful moment where you're like, you know what, I'm going to start putting money into it. What were your first experiments that you did? Well, I've been doing podcast marketing for myself and for others for a long time. I mean, since in, in earnest, probably since 2018. For myself in kind of an amateur capacity since 2015, really when I started becoming a somebody who would do work for other people. But when I opened up my brick and mortar studio in Maine in 2017, 2018, I started to realize that what a lot of my clients needed was marketing help. And I'm like, well, I've been, you know, I've been spending time on Facebook for a while now. I can probably help you with these things. Uh, and so when I started marketing this, it wasn't, there weren't a lot of experiments. There was a lot of, okay, I've done this before. I know exactly what to do. And some of that was Facebook marketing and some of it was in-app marketing. So you're, you know, like Fountain is a podcast player, which is relatively new. I'm running my first campaign there uh, actually just this week and Overcast and Podcast Addict and Player.fm. And those are great ways to spend your money to market your podcast, but they're also expensive. I mean, like Overcast is going to run you for a month for a few hundred. Player FM is going to charge you two grand to eight grand, right? Like it's, it's, it's a big investment to market in that way. So I started with Facebook ads. Hmm. There's a problem with Facebook ads, man. They're, they're not working anymore. Hmm. Uh, there's been a lot of updates to how people treat privacy, especially on their iOS devices. And it has changed how you're able to attribute the success of your campaigns. And in some cases, it's preventing you from reaching people like you used to be able to. I used to be able to grow a Facebook page with likes for like a penny a like, two pennies a like. Mm -hmm. And now it's costing me like 40 cents a like, sometimes a dollar a like, because I can't target as well as I used to be able to because of all this privacy stuff. Not to take away from the privacy stuff, it's important. I'm a consumer too, I get it. Uh, but it's made it harder. So Practical Stoicism was really the, was the first podcast where I stopped focusing primarily on growing shows with Facebook ads, which used to be incredibly successful for me. I mean, I would almost never do in-app unless the client could afford it, unless the client could afford to jump to a couple thousand dollars a month instead of a few hundred dollars a month. But when Practical Stoicism started picking up steam and Facebook started dying out, I said, okay, well, I guess this is the first time where I'm spending way more money on in-app ads than I am spending on Facebook ads and way more money in general. That is super interesting because I know for the longest time you've been a huge Facebook ads guy. We actually did a panel together where you talked about Facebook ads. Mm -hmm. But now it sounds like uh, you're a lot more bullish about the in-app ads. Let's unpack that a little bit for people who aren't familiar with it. How, how much does this cost and how does it work? So I don't want to make it sound as though Facebook ads are no longer helpful. They're certainly helpful, but they're nowhere as near as helpful as they used to be. And in particular, they're nowhere as near as helpful as they used to be for getting people to subscribe to your podcast, which is really what you as a podcaster are trying to do. So now I use Facebook ads to develop a, a presence on Facebook, to grow a group, to grow a page, uh, brand awareness campaigns, things like that. I'm much more bullish, as you said, on in-app ads because they are just now outperforming Facebook ads and they didn't used to do that. Uh, and 
you have to go with, I was kind of saying before, why do we do the things we do? Why do, why is that the way we do it? Why is that the way everybody does it? Is that the best way to do it? And within the last, you know, eight months or so, it's been very, it's become very apparent to me that Facebook doesn't do it anymore and in-app ads do it better. So there's just, there's no more argument to have about it. Yeah. So how do the in-app ads work? It sounds like these are the in-app ads in the apps of the podcast players, right? Yeah. So a really popular one, for example, is Overcast. We would love it. We, the collective, we of all the marketers of podcasts would love it if you could run an ad on Apple Podcasts like you can in their app store, but you can't do it right now. Uh, so a really popular one is Overcast. So if, if you go to overcast.fm and you click on, uh, I think if you just go to overcast.fm forward slash ads, you can create an account there and you can run an ad for a month. They only allow so many ads at one time for every category and in total. So you have to make sure there's availability for you to run the ad. And the ads can cost anywhere between $1,000 a month to like $250 a month, depending on your category and how busy and in demand that category is. Uh, so, so that for, cost, is it uh, per CPM or how, how do they uh, determine the ROI on that cost? Some of them, well, nobody does it by CPM that I've run into that I'm, not, that I'm thinking about the top of my head. Let's start with Overcast. So for Overcast, you'll say, and I'm just reading this right now for my dashboard in Overcast. Sure. So I'm running an ad right now, $310 is what it cost me, just flat rate for 30 days or 31 days. The Dictionary of Mythology and Folklore, it puts the ad somewhere in the player, usually up at the top in the discovery section, and it runs for a month. And oh, so this is a display ad. Oh yeah, it's a display ad. It's not, a, I should have said that. You're right. I think a lot of people probably assumed we're talking about red ads on other right. boxes. No, this is a display ad inside of a player app. So it's cost me $310. It's about a third of the way through. It has earned me thus far 430 taps, which mm. is people clicking on the ad, and 53 new verified subscriptions within the Overcast app. So it starts out being very expensive. And then as the campaign goes on and you get more subscriptions, uh, if I get around 100 subs, which it looks like I'll exceed, then that means I'm paying uh, like $3 or or so per new subscriber. Now, $3 per subscriber seems very expensive, right? To anybody, they're like, well, why would I pay $3 <laughs> to mm -hmm. get one listener when mm -hmm. podcast advertisers will only give me $18 for a thousand listeners? I mean, that doesn't seem like a very good, uh, doesn't seem like a very good investment, which is one of the reasons that I tell people they should have a business built up around their podcast so that that, that $3 spend could perhaps bring you at least back that $3 before it was monetized through ads. So it's at least not costing you money, but that notwithstanding, if you can retain those listeners over time, they become worth the investment, but you have to be moving along at a pretty healthy growth clip or, you know, the, you're going to be spending $3 on listeners for five years before you can ever justify the spend, which is why, and I've always said this, I think you've heard me always say this, you need to have a budget for advertising for your podcast. Mm -hmm. You have to spend on it because there's just no other way. There's no other yeah. way to grow in this little place. I totally agree. So going back to the overcast, what you're paying for, um, are you actually paying for the taps versus the subscribers or is it, yeah, where, what's the budget getting you? No, that's actually the great thing about it. Uh, so I am just paying $310 for my category. That's the arts category. That's it. That's all I pay. And there's a range, and I'll read this range to you for Overcast. You can just find this yourself at overcast.fm forward slash ads. Uh, but what, what category is this podcast in? In business? 
Probably. Yeah. Yes. So in the business category, it would cost you $1,125 to run an ad for 30 days. They suspect, and they give you some estimates that you'll get 850 to 1500 taps over that time period. And you'll retain 40 to 55 people. That's a very expensive category. Mm-hmm. In the category of, let's say, music, $230 for a month, you'll get between 450 and 700 taps, and you'll retain 25 to 30 for a $9.20 cost per acquisition. Now, what I have found in the years that I've been using Overcast for my clients, this is, by the way, the first time I've ever used Overcast for myself, okay. uh, is that that's usually their estimations are padded a bit and they're padded so that they over deliver on what they promise. Mm. So you'll get about 20% more in my experience than what they say you'll get. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a guaranteed way to grow. That's and, an and interesting ad model. I've never seen that before where you're kind of just paying for a category of flat fee mm-hmm. and um, you kind of get what you get. Correct. Is that how all the other platforms are too? You mentioned, um, do you mention Spotify in there? I did mention Spotify. Spotify works more like Facebook. And to be honest, Spotify's ad platform, it, it really could be great. But something that they don't allow yet is for you to advertise your podcast on other podcasts. They won't let you do that yet. I'm not sure why they're not letting you do that because I feel like every podcaster on earth would immediately start giving Spotify money, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you can't do that yet unless something's changed in the last three or so months. So it sounds Uh, like all these podcast players have a display ad model mm -hmm. of some sort. And uh, you mentioned Fountain and the only time I've heard of Fountain is uh, about the crypto and, and the boost and stuff like that. So how do they perform? terms of their display ads. I just started that campaign today. Literally today, it got approved and it's running. It, it seems a little pricey. I'm going to be honest. It was $50 for somewhere like 500 impressions. And I thought that's very expensive, $50 for 500 impressions. Uh, I don't know how successful it's going to be. Now, if I get 100 subscribers off of that $50, I'll be very, I'll be very happy. And I'll report back to you and say it's wonderful. Uh, but I don't know yet. It is very easy to set up, though. I was impressed with that. That's cool. So when you first started, or maybe even now, what's your budget when you first start these paid ads? And what's your budget now? This was the really great thing about Facebook ads back when they worked, is I used to say, you know, five, ten dollars a day. If you can swing at 150, 300 a month, don't pay attention to it. Just let it keep running. You're gonna see slow growth week over week, and you'll never get burned out feeling like nobody's listening because you get a couple dozen people every month. And that feels good. Don't pay attention to how much it costs. Just be happy that you're growing and let it prevent that pod fade burnout that everybody seems to, you know, get around episode seven, seven to 10. But now, because Facebook ads don't work that well anymore, now it's more like, all right, for overcast, you've got to have a budget. It depends on your category. For me in arts, 310. In music, 230. In business, 1200. Uh, And it's the same with podcast addict. It's not the same with Fountain. Fountain just allows you to select the amount of money you spend Mm -hmm. and you'll just, that's how much you'll spend. And I don't, I, again, I just started today, so I don't understand that platform too well. There's also player.fm. Player.fm is the one that a lot of my clients use and I have found it to be the best results. I mean, it's like a dollar to $2 per new subscriber on player.fm. Oh, wow. And they're pretty well retained such that the ultimate a CPA is probably three dollars because you do get some drop off. You're paying three dollars, and it's just killer, but it's expensive. I think they're 
Uh, their base package is bronze and it's 2000 and their gold is 4000 uh, or no, their silver is 4000 and their gold is 5000 and they have a platinum that I've actually never run a platinum campaign with them. So I don't know what, I think that costs like 8000 or something. Oh, so those are the baseline costs. Yeah, but those campaigns are only two weeks long. Can you imagine? Wow. So it's like a fire hose. They're just. Um... Yeah. Yes. But imagine telling an indie podcaster to spend $2,000 a week or every two weeks, they would be like, what are you out of your, you out of your mind? Yeah. Yeah. So for any podcaster, it sounds like you're really recommending overcast. To get yeah. Overcast or, or podcast addict or fountain. I mean, I don't know how fountain performs yet, but sure. it has a, it has an entry price that is affordable. And so, and so why not? Yeah. I'm curious, does iHeart have display? Like I this? have never advertised with iHeart before. Okay. That's super interesting. So. Now that you're spending money on practical cynicism, what's your goal for it? Just to have it reach the most people as humanly possible. I mean, at this point I run, I made, so I made a promise to the listeners that I would never put more than one ad in the show. Cause it's a short show. Mm. I would never put the ad anywhere, but in the pre-roll because nobody wants to have something serious like that interrupted even if it's a relevant ad, right? Like, cause you might, you might appreciate a, a relevant ad more than you appreciate an irrelevant one, but you still don't really appreciate it. Uh, so, you know, I get one 25-ish dollar CPM at the front. It's got, you know, 50,000 or some odd subscribers at this point. So I make, I make some decent money off of that show now. Oh, so you're already selling ads against it. Yes, yeah, yeah. Sounder.fm makes that very, very easy. It's not a great CPM right now, but that's gonna go up soon. So I'll maybe wait to talk about that the next time I come on the show. <laughs> I see. So you're just using one of the ad platforms to uh, sell against? Just programmatic ads through Sounder, yeah. Got it. And is that sort of the long-term goal is to sell ads? That's probably all I'll do with it. I mean, it's, it's making more money than I ever wanted it to make. It's making a decent amount of money. Uh, and it's got a great listenership and I'll continue to roll that money it makes into advertising it. And I'll be happy to see it grow. I'll be happy to see more people impacted by it. And yeah, I have been thinking about doing something like creating a, a discord group for some amount of dollars a year, like, Hey, join the practical stoicism philosophy club for $150 a year. And you know, all of us can come together into a place and just have access to one another and talk and learn and you'll have friends, right? Maybe I've got the book. I do a new book for every season. So we just finished the first season. I'll do a second book at the end of the second season. And that's like, you know, $8 on Kindle and $10 on Amazon if you want it. So there's like some revenue generation ideas built in there, but quite honestly, I could not run ads. I could not monetize it. And I really wouldn't care as long as it kept growing. I just want to cover my growth costs. Right. My ads coming out of pocket for it, but it's great that it's making me some money and it's doing so well. Have you ever thought of maybe getting your own sponsors? Because I feel like these programmatic ad sponsorships, the CPMs are so low. Uh, they are. That's true. But I also would never do a host read. I mean, think this is one of the things I think <laughs> that people in the ad tech space, maybe they do. I don't want to speak for everybody in the ad tech space, but I feel like people who think about ads are like, you got to do host read. They're going to pay the most. And you know, your listeners don't mind it. I mean, I just don't know how in the world I would transition in the middle of a conversation about how <laughs> to live your best life into like a a host read ad for literally anything. Think of anything that didn't directly relate to living a good life. And how in the world would I wedge it in there? I just could, I could never do a host read ad on this podcast. <laughs> That's it would true. feel wrong to me. And it would be like, I mean, 
who's who's a great you know what do i do me undies or i do a, <laughs> hey, a sleep mattress. sleep mattresses you know, it's, it's a great speaking of living your best life how about sleeping your best sleep like it doesn't <laughs> it would just make it so wrong so i i just do the programmatic at the head and that's enough for me because this isn't i mean like i have a job right and the mission of this is is to impact people's lives it's not to make money now I have a lot of other podcasts where the goal is to make money. Uh, so I'm not against making money, but sometimes that's not the right move. Right. That's cool. Yeah. I'd love to have you on the show again to talk about your other podcasts, but those are really good growth hacks and a really great story for practical stoicism. Yeah. Were there any other things that worked for you that you want to share? Yeah. There's one last thing that I've been especially bullish on in the last few months because I just don't see anybody else saying the same thing, which is often the case for things I say, uh, and maybe that's good or maybe it's bad. There seems to be this idea that if you're a podcaster, that's the thing you are. You're a podcaster and you've got to find a way to monetize the podcast. That's the way you're going to make money. That's the way you're going to make it. That's the way you're going to have success. But really, and I think I've heard you say this before, Pat, that your podcast is like a business card. Have you said that before? I feel like you said that to me. Maybe. Yeah. And it kind of is. Your podcast is something that people discover and they learn about your competencies and they like you and they come to trust, you know, know, like, and trust you, you're in marketing, you know, that phrase. But it's not the only thing you're capable of being. So people think, well, I want to go to, I want to go to Twitter and I want to make sure people on Twitter know I have a podcast so they can come to the podcast. Mm. But those people are on Twitter. They don't give a shit about your podcast. Right. They, they're on Twitter to like do whatever they're doing on Twitter. So be the podcast guy on your podcast or girl, woman, sorry, uh, or be the podcast woman or man on, on Twitter, but, but treat them as their own little verticals. You're not trying to get people from TikTok to come to your podcast. You're on TikTok to serve the TikTok audience in a unique way, the way that platform wants you to. And if you want to have success, like whatever success I've had, uh, and people would debate whether or not it's a lot of success or not. I feel very successful for, for one guy who owns a consultancy. I feel like I've done pretty well for myself. I will tell you that it's not the podcast that brought me into whatever limelight currently shines on me or has ever. It is the fact that I've shown up and I've written a blog. And it's the fact that I've shown up and I've engaged on Twitter. And it's the fact that I have a course and I have a, a discord you can join. And it's that I'm showing up to serve in every place that I can. And it almost, none of it, almost none of it has to do with the podcast. My, just to bring this, just to put the number out there, I have a podcast about podcasting. Good morning podcasters. You talked about it at the intro. It's got 600 subscribers, hmm. 600. You think I'm a success as a podcaster? Hmm. Would you even listen to me if I only had 600 subscribers? What does Tanner know? But that's not the thing that people really care about for me. <laughs> the podcast is almost like a tertiary or quadrary thing mm -hmm. in, in, the, in whatever brand I am. The rest of it is Tanner talking to people and helping people. And I think that as a podcaster, one of the things you need to do is realize that, yeah, you've got this podcast and people maybe love it, but some people would love you and would love your content and would love your attitude and what you bring to the table. They're never going to listen to that podcast. And you've got to be somewhere else to find them. You're not just a podcast. You, you are a person and you can have influence and impact everywhere you choose to show up if you show up authentically in those places. So I would say like spread your wings a bit, be elsewhere. The podcast isn't the end all be all of what you're trying to accomplish no matter what it is. 
I love that. And uh, to your point for good morning podcasters, I'm such a big fan, whether you had like only 10 listeners or 10,000 listeners, I'd be a huge fan. Um, we're going to go into the final quick fire five questions. I did want to swing back to another question that I kind of missed. Um, I don't know if there's enough meat on the bone there, but I know, listen, one of your episodes, I know you experimented with the Buzzsprout ads. Can you describe that a little bit? Yeah, that's a little unique. I don't want to disparage them. First of all, I, I feel like I need to say that this is a very nascent product from Buzzsprout because it's, it's brand new. It's been out for like a month. Right. Uh, and I know that the team over there, based on conversations I've had with a couple of people who work there, in particular Albin, that there's a lot more coming. It's sure. going to become a better platform. That said, the way that it works is that you create a 30 to, I think it's 45 second, 30 to 45 second ad spot. You record it. It is a, it is an audible recording. And then you submit it to the podcast ads platform. And you say, I would like to advertise my podcast, which is the podcast you tell them it is. And I'd like to use this audio to advertise it. And a bunch of people will see it and they'll say, okay, yeah, I'll advertise that podcast on my show. No problem. Uh, and you pay, it's a, it's, I think it's like $2. I think it's a $2 CPM. It's pretty low. It's very, important. yeah, that's great. So it's, it's easy to get in. It's very entry level. The results were not great because here's how the ad presents. The ad <laughs> shows up as a drop-in ad. It's not host read. It's programmatic. So you don't know where it shows up. And since Buzzsprout is a hosting platform and not a podcast listening app, there's nothing for them to click on. They're just hearing the thing. And they have to, first of all, in the, you have to have a call to action in the ad because what also happens is that a link to your Apple podcast, your Spotify podcast, and your website will appear appended to the show notes of that episode that it appeared in, which is nice that that's automated. That's cool. But you have to say that in your ad. Otherwise, you're, you're going to say, hey, I'm the XYZ podcast. I'd love it if you check this out. You can look in the show notes of whatever episode you're listening to right now to find links to us on Apple and Spotify and our website. And that doesn't convert very well. Also, you have to use short links so that you can track the effectiveness because what you'll see on the back end of Buzzsprout is that it was heard by X number of people, but they won't tell you how many people clicked anything. So, so you won't have any sense of any conversion. So when you create that ad, it'll ask you for the three links that it puts in the show notes. And if you have a link shortener, like a bit.ly, or I, I use uh, switchy.io, which is a great one I'd suggest to anybody, um, you have to go and create your own short link so that if they click on that link, at least you can monitor it external to Buzzsprout. But I haven't found that it converts very well. I think I got almost no new listeners and I think I spent $1,000 on it. I, I went, to, oh, uh, wow. went to like the highest one. Um, and luckily that wasn't my money. That was a client's money. <laughs> they, they trusted me and they're like, yeah, I mean, we'll try it. You say it's good. Maybe it's good. If it's not, it's just a thousand bucks, which is, it's nice to have clients like that sometimes because then they yeah. test it. You don't have to. Uh, so they tried it out and I think they probably got like a dozen new listeners that we could, you know, reasonably attribute or a thousand dollars, which is just as a terrible cost per acquisition. So I think that part of that problem is maybe I, as the person who wants to advertise, can't say specifically which podcasts I want it to be on. And instead, mm -hmm. it's just anybody, whether they're related to my content or not, can say, yeah, 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 we'll put that in our show because we want the money for running the ad. 
uh, and maybe there's just not a good match for the content that I'm trying to advertise and the podcast that agrees to run the ad. That's do you know how they do match? Is it some kind of an AI algorithm or something? Yeah, it, it is only you can only accept the ad, of course, if you post on Buzzsprout. And I don't mm-hmm. host Buzzsprout, so I haven't seen that side of it. I see. Okay. So maybe they could just uh, make sure that only that category could accept the ad. And maybe they do, and I don't know that, but that would do something to explain why the conversions were so low. Because the ad I ran for this particular client was so, it was a really engaging, fun ad that has performed really, really well everywhere else that that ad has been used as a host, as a uh, programmatic. Uh, so it just didn't stack up. But I think, you know, again, it's nascent. I'm not saying you can right. try it, but if you try it, try it at the hundred dollar tier. <laughs> Don't <laughs> okay. spend a thousand dollars on it. Yeah, I uh, was following it when it first came out, and it seems very compelling. And I want to f- follow how well that works. Uh, so thanks for sharing that. But now let's wrap up with the final quick fire five questions. These are just fun questions, and uh, yeah, feel free to answer them short or long. Question number one: Do you collect listener emails? Oh, do I collect listener emails? Um, well, yes, because on, on uh, Good Morning Podcasters, I do with your service, with Pod Inbox. Uh, people leave me voice messages and I get their email as part of that. Uh, on Practical Stoicism, yes, because I said, hey, before I launch this book, uh, anybody who wants this book and doesn't want to pay for it, wants a free PDF copy, just send me your email right now. No catches, no nothing. You'll just get a PDF the day the book comes out. And if you want to still go buy the, you know, the hard copy, you can, but I'll just give you the PDF. And I got a bunch of emails because wow. of that. So I probably got like 30,000 emails. For that. So you give away a full copy of the book. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just in PDF. It's in PDF. PDFs are a pain in the ass, right? Nobody reads <laughs> a PDF. Nobody likes that. They're going to buy the book anyway. <laughs> but, you know, some people, it's just a, it's a, yes, I collect emails. There you go. That's cool. Question two, what's the one podcast you recommend the most besides your own? Podcast I recommend the most. Or maybe even the last podcast you recommended to somebody. I am a really big fan of Sam Harris's podcast, Thinking Something. I don't even know the name of it because I just listen to it every morning and just play it just like you. It's kind of like thinking. Someone was thinking deeply or something like that. It's got like a maze for cover art. I love that podcast. So I don't recommend it very often. I should. I'm a big fan of Hardcore History with Dan Carlin. I'm a big fan of pod news. Like I listen to pod news probably, well, probably every morning. I, like I'll get in the shower and there's like a list of like short shows that'll, yeah. my 15th yeah. shower, I'll get like five shows in there. Uh, and, and pod news is definitely one of them. And let me think, let me think. I, you would think that there would be a greater number of podcasts on this list, but here's the thing. And I don't know if a lot of other podcasters share this. I'm a podcaster. I am not necessarily a podcast listener because when you're creating five podcasts a week, you don't really have time to listen to podcasts. So I'm, I'm a little choosy, but I love Dan Carlin's Harker History. I love uh, Sam Harris's, maybe it's Waking Up is another one he had, but I think this one is called Thinking Something, I can't remember. Uh, and Pod News, um, those are the ones that I'm going to listen to regularly. Yeah, actually, I recommend Pod News a lot. And kind of like to what you said, it's just because they're short snippets just to keep up with the industry. And it plays on my Google Homes, the morning routine, which is kind of nice. And he's such a, he's such a wise ass, you know, like he gets people some, he's gotten me a couple of times and I've, I've hated <laughs> it, but when he gets other people, I'm like, yes, 
he got up. Yeah, you're referring to James Cridland, of course, and yep, great guy. Yeah, yeah, they they got Cridland. Ha <laughs> ha. That's how you feel. <laughs> oh, is that a is that a verb now? You got Cridland? Yeah, it should be if it's not. <laughs> I like it. All right. Question number three. How much time do you spend on your let's say one podcast per week? The I think you already said it, maybe. Yeah, for practical stoicism, I spend three hours. For the dictionary and mythology and folklore, I spend an hour every day because it's a daily. Uh, for practical, or sorry, for uh, good morning podcasters, I spend probably two hours because it's a little bit harder to write. Uh, so I do three hours of podcast prep and performance every uh, every day. Wow, you have two dailies. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Dictionary and mythology and folklore is a daily. And then I have another one coming wow. up with Jam Street Media, which will be a weekly, uh, which I'm actually using... This isn't really a growth hack because I don't know if it'll work, but the reason I launched Dictionary of Mythology and Folklore was to act as a daily that could uh, that could grow an audience. Right now, it's got about 100 listeners a day. It just started, I think, two weeks ago. And my plan was, if I start this and I can grow this, then when we launch this other podcast about mythology and folklore with Jam Street, we'll have this whole daily that we can shift over to it so it can get a nice little start and a bump. And also, it'll always be cross-interesting to the audiences, so they'll grow in tandem. I don't know whether or not that will work. I'm a psycho who makes five podcasts a day. And then I told you uh, earlier, I'm starting a podcast called Tacos with Tanner with my friend, uh, Isidro Salas, uh, all about Mexican culture and cuisine, which is going to be awesome because I love tacos. Wow. You are a maniac. I do not know how you do all those podcasts. Like I have a hard enough time running one, but that's, that's really awesome. Question number four, what's your favorite podcast tool? Okay, so I'm wearing the shirt and they did sponsor my show for a few months. So oh, cool. I need to say that before I answer this question, but the Vocaster from Focusrite, I initially, when I saw it, I thought it was just another audio interface device, like their Scarlett 2i2, mm -hmm. for example, which I have for years. But it is a little bit more than that. It has a couple loopback channels and it has a way for you to plug your phone into it. So you can do like Twitter lives with your real good microphone and you could do like clubhouse rooms or, or phone calls if you wanted. And it has become my daily driver. I actually didn't think I was going to replace the audio interface I had before, which was a, oh, come on, Tanner. What was the, what was the brand? Um, Air was the model, 192.6. What was the brand? Oh, which was an M audio Air. 192.6, which is a great audio interface device. And I loved it, but there was no way to do that phone thing. And I spend a lot of time. One of the things I do every Monday at 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern is I jump in uh, my friend, Jeff, who's known as podcast father, like a church father, you know, mm -hmm. uh, on Twitter. And I do a, a room with him for like an hour and a half. And I don't like doing it on the phone. I would rather plug my phone in and have like the mic connected to it. So I sound like yeah. this instead of sounding mm -hmm. like I'm on a telephone. Uh, and the Vocaster one series, they have a two series. If you need two inputs, I don't, uh, does that. And it's, I mean, it's just, you know, it's got the focus right quality and it does those things. And it's one of my favorite things. And then my second favorite tool, can I give you a tool that's not a sponsor? So this doesn't get <laughs> sure. like a lie. My second favorite tool <laughs> I was going to say Ghostcast, but that's a company that I'm the CCO for. So I can't say Ghostcast. Okay. Uh, that's almost like a sponsorship. So uh, I will say also, there's a lot of tools. <laughs> okay. So um, Podcast Studio Pro. Now they were a sponsor. Okay. Mm. You, you kind of like get the idea that I only allow people to sponsor me who I think are like really good tools. I, I allowed cool. people to sponsor me like months ago. 
because I think you're a really good tool. Well, not you. But <laughs> I'm you, a good tool. You know, <laughs> but podcast, Pod Inbox is a really good tool. So uh, Podcast Studio Pro is created by a guy named Jeffrey. And Jeffrey created a software called Writer's Room Pro, mm -hmm. which is intended for film and television writer's rooms. And essentially, it's, an, it's a matrix of index cards on a screen that you can split up to order yourself, to structure your show. And I met him at NAB, which I used to call NAB, quite embarrassingly. Everybody made fun of me for that, uh, in Vegas a few months ago. And I was like, dude, you got to make a podcast sister version of this. And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, yes, just do it. And so he and I worked together for a couple of months to convert or to add on to what he already had to make a podcast version of it. It's called Podcast Studio Pro. And I use it every day. Huh. Literally every day I do all my writing in it. I, everything I write, I do in podcast studio pro. All my podcasts are in there. It costs me like $10 a month or something. It's ridiculous. Uh, and it just helps me stay organized. If you have a problem staying organized, this is like the answer to Google docs or Evernote. Like this is way, way better. I will check it out. That sounds really cool. And uh, what social media platform do you use the most to promote your show? Twitter at Tanner helps. You know, I don't promote my show on any podcast uh, or on any social platform if it's not paid. So you could say Facebook. Yes, but I'm never tweeting about my show except for one automated tweet that happens 12 hours after every, every episode releases that says, in case right. you missed it, here's today's episode. Right. But you're but, on Twitter more than any other. Oh yeah. Social media well, I try to do TikTok and I really should do it because I know the potential there. I've got clients who are crushing it. They are friends who are just, I mean, it's crazy how successful you can be on that platform it seems like minimal effort, but I just can't bring myself to do what needs to be done to sure. find real success on there. Cause I'm not a, I'm not a funny guy and I don't <laughs> want to put audiograms. It feels cheap. So, so Twitter is the way to go for me. Twitter it is. Final question. What's your primary call to action at the end of each episode? It changes with the sponsors because I, you know, I try to treat my, my sponsors pretty well. They get a mention during the episode, right at the outset and at the end, uh, just so everybody remembers who's sponsoring me. And I, you know, try to make them as happy as possible. Uh, but I also give a call to my discord. That's, that's one that I constantly give along with my buy me a coffee, which I call buy me a taco. So people <laughs> come give me like $3 for a taco. Uh, which I love because I really spend that money on tacos. I love them. Uh, but Discord, I think. Discord, I probably mention, aside from my sponsor, the most frequently. Because that, so, so anybody who doesn't have a Discord for their podcast, please make one. The, the kinds of things that happen in these communities when you build them, and somebody who listens to your podcast, somebody's, they want to, they really want to be in a Discord. And like, so in my Discord, I've got Perry, uh, Perry Carpenter, and Mason Amadeus, and they had no, no idea who each other were. They had no idea. And they came into this Discord, and they liked each other, and they vibed off each other, and they literally just started a business, and they're launching a new podcast and going after funding money for it, and they met in my Discord, which wow. makes me feel so good. And that kind of like relationship of like people, there are people, like I've got people in Minnesota who listen to the show. They didn't know they live next to each other. Now they're buddies. One of them owns like a his name is Fuzz. He, he doesn't own, but he's a C-level exec at a marketing company, PR company in, in uh, Minnesota or Wisconsin. I can't remember. Uh, and like the, the, you just get these friendships that happen in the Discord. And to be able to do that, or a Slack, you know, whatever you want, to be able to do that is just, you're no longer, again, you're not just the podcaster entertaining people. You're now the person who's facilitating relationships that lead to new opportunities for people. It's like a very selfless thing to do at the same time being kind of selfish. 
because you get some kind of clout bump, I think, from that. People respect you more. That's cool. So where do people find your Discord? Uh, so you can go to any episode of Good Morning Podcasters and look in the show notes because a Discord invite link is like, it's random. I actually think I bought a short link and I believe it is gmpod.co forward slash Discord. I will let you put that in your show notes. <laughs> I'll find that link. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But if you can go to, you can go to any episode of Good Morning Podcasters and look in the show notes and, and it's right there down at the bottom. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Tanner Campbell, thanks for being on the show. And if you enjoy Tanner and all the advice, go subscribe to the podcast, Good Morning Podcasters. Go check out the show notes and join his Discord. It's right there in the show notes. Thanks, Tanner. Thanks for having me, man. I had a blast and I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Podcast Growth Hacks. If you like the show, please tell a fellow podcaster about it. This really does help keep our show going. And if you have a podcast growth question that you're kind of curious about, well, I'd love to hear from you. You can leave me an audio message by going to podinbox.com slash podcast. Once again, that's podinbox.com slash podcast. I'll include that link in my show notes. I personally respond to all questions I receive there. And once I get your question, I'll find the podcasting expert to answer it on an upcoming episode. We'll play your question and I'll even give you a shout out. Until the next episode, keep creating and keep growing your show.